You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. I was in Northern Ireland last weekend and I met some people who are Free Presbyterians in the Northern Irish sense and uh, we were talking about an infamous story of when Ian Paisley in his massive church in Belfast passed round a, a bucket and when it, as the collection and when it got up to the front he had a look in the bucket and he said it's not enough, go back again uh, so I'm tempted to, no <laughs> I won't do that We're, we've been looking at Second Corinthians and we've come to um, verses that are well known in, in Christian circles and probably are <coughs> frequently misquoted so they're, they're difficult verses in one way to look at We're going to look at uh, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. The words will be up on the screen as well. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And really goes on into chapter 7. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Now, if you were a non-Christian here, or I mean, if you are a Christian, you normally come here, and I want you to imagine that if you were a non-Christian, you come into a church and you hear these words, don't be yoked together with unbelievers, come out from them and be separate. It sounds the opposite of what our culture regards as the key thing. We want to include people. This sounds very exclusive. Come out from among them and be separate. It sounds kind of harsh. And those of us who are Christians or who've been brought up in a church background, um, some of us have had experience of churches where, to be honest, it has been quite harsh, really extreme. Uh, the Christian Brethren, for example, are a wonderful group. I um, uh, grew up in the Christian Brethren, and I'm not slagging them off, but there was a group within the Brethren called the Taylorites, with all apologies to those of you who are called Taylor, but <laughs> the, they were called the Taylorites. And if you belong to the Taylorite Brethren, when your child reached eight years old, you weren't allowed to eat at the same table as them. So you would, up to seven years old, you'd eat at the same table, and then you'd go home after Sunday, and the children would have to eat at a separate table. And they used this verse as a justification for that. It's often, as I said, one of the most misunderstood verses. Well, in the context, what Paul is speaking about here is clearly believers participating in pagan worship. Is there a logical connection with with what's gone before? I think that is it. That is the logical connection. 
But these verses are usually used when people talk about marriage. Does it mean, if we take these verses absolutely at face value, that you go to a restaurant and if there are unbelievers present, get up, walk out, because you shouldn't be eating with them? If uh, we're having a student lunch afterwards, um, if you're a visiting student here, are we going to go around and say, you believe? You believe? You Baptist? You Presbyterian? What are you? Um, Okay, you can stay, you can stay, we're not sure about you, you can go in that room and you just get out. Is that how we would do it if we were doing, taking these verses literally? No. That's obviously not what it means. Do these verses have anything to say to our current church situation? Come out from among them and be separate. There's a story told of an elder from Assent up in Sutherland in the 18th century called John McLeod. And uh, he went with one of his friends around the whole of Britain as far as he was concerned. He took a long journey in those days, very long journey, to find out if there were any true Christians in the whole of the United Kingdom. And the story is told that he came back and he said to his friend, well, there's me and thee, and I'm not so sure about thee. <laughs> it was it, that kind of attitude that we are the purest of the pure. I once went to preach in Detroit, and in the Free Church in Detroit, and there was somebody who'd traveled from California, which is a long way, because he said this was the only pure church in the whole of the United States. Now, that kind of insanity, what do you do with that? Is that what this is teaching? It's not teaching that at all. So let's look at what it is. It's clearly as how do we live as Christians in this world. And what Paul does here is he weaves in lots of quotes from the Old Testament. He's dealing with a a wide range of issues, I think. As I say, these are often verses that are used just in marriage. Well, I'm of Calvin's opinion in this. He says this, many are of the opinion that Paul speaks here of marriage but the context clearly shows they are mistaken. We are saved out of the pollutions of the world. Again, if you're not a Christian, you wouldn't grasp or understand this, wouldn't understand what we are talking about. Christianity teaches that all human beings, every single one of us, that we ourselves are corrupt and that we live in a corrupt world. And that there is, we're made in the image of God, but there is wickedness within each one of us. And that's what we're saved from. (coughs) Paul had earlier written to the Corinthians, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Becoming a Christian means that you are called out of a particular lifestyle. You are called out of a way of being into a new way of being. But it doesn't mean that you are completely detached from the world. Avoiding being polluted by the world is as difficult as swimming without getting wet. 
can happen. We are to live in this world, and we are to be salt and light in this world, but how does that work? And that is what Paul is dealing with here, because there is a tendency always in the Christian church for people to go into legalism, for people to be self-righteous, or for people to kind of give up with all of that. So first of all, we consider this, God's questions. These are the questions that are, that are asked. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? How can fellowship have light with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 22 verse 10, there's a verse that for most people now just causes utter ridicule. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. And when sometimes you get people who want to argue against the Bible and they'll say, oh, have you got mixed clothing? And yeah, I do. Well, aren't you being unbiblical? No, I'm not. Why was that given at that time in the Mosaic law to God's people? Because it's an image and a picture that God is saying to his people, I don't want you to be mixed up with those who do not acknowledge me. I don't want the church and the world mixed in together. Now, the history of the church has always been that wherever that happens, the church always loses. It always loses. Because as Paul says here, righteousness and wickedness have nothing in common. We live in different worlds. We don't compromise with the world. I don't know if this ever happens to you. You, you switch on the television sometimes and you see something and you think, do I belong? Is this, is, do I belong to this world? Is this what it, it's supposed to be? And God says, no, it's not. You belong to a different world. What fellowship can light have with darkness? You can't. Fellowship is a deep and it's a precious thing. And you can't have fellowship with darkness. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Here, Belial is used of the devil. You don't partner with the devil. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Lots of things. We have lots of things in common. You do not walk, you can't go out in the street. In fact, never mind go out in the street. I can't look around here and go, okay, you're a believer, you're not a believer, you're a believer, you're not a believer. How do I know? You can't tell by how people look. There are lots of things we have in common. We eat, we drink, we're human, we, we love, we have families, and so on. But there are things that we cannot have in common. And the key one here is who we worship. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? The problem here is that the Christians in Corinth were being tempted to Forget idolatry as sin. Don't introduce idols into the temple of God. O oh, Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I'm like a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. God's question to his people is just simply this. What are you bringing into 
your service of God and your worship of God, which has to be your whole life, that is not of God and is not from God. Because, he says, we are God's temple. It's a hugely important thing. We are the temple of God. We are the temple of the living God. Now, that's an extraordinary statement. In that culture and in that context, to the Jews, the temple was at Jerusalem. You'd go up to Jerusalem. You'd go to the temple. To the Gentiles, the temple was within their own community. If you lived in Corinth, there was a huge temple there, and it was the center of civic life. And Paul is here saying to the Christians, Jerusalem is not your temple, and the temple in the center of Corinth is not your temple. You are the temple of God. It was incredibly radical language, language that he uses elsewhere in Corinthians. Oops, go one, go one back. Oh, never mind. thought I had it. I'll read it to you anyway. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your temple is a body of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. It's an extraordinary idea, an extraordinary promise that the church is not this building and the church is not the other St. Peter's in Rome and the church is not whatever building we happen to have and it's not the denomination and it's not the organization. The church is the people of God and we are the temple of God. And therefore, when you leave this building and when you're at work tomorrow and when you're in your home later on this evening, the temple of God is there. And Paul's saying, you don't pollute the temple of God. There are things you don't do. I mean, there are, for example, um, I guess there are things that if we did in the church here, there'd be people go, imagine that happening in a church. It's terrible. It's just shocking. Never let that happen in a church. But you are the church. And there's almost a little bit of, well, there are things that are holy and things that we do in church and things that we don't do. But then when we get out of church, it's different. And Paul's teaching is so radical because he's saying, no, you, you are the temple and you mustn't pollute God's temple. I want to just say just a little bit more about that because this language, this language is language of the covenant, language of God being with his people. Emmanuel, we sang, God is with us. And it's important in this. It's not just that God is around me. It's not just that we receive his blessing, nor just that he's near us, but that he is within us. He is God with us. In the Old Testament, whatever God honored with his presence, that he sanctified. You are made holy. A couple of weeks ago, the Vatican um, made a couple of Pope saints. And I'm I'm looking at that and I'm going, no, sorry, uh, I've got, you know, a couple of hundred saints here this morning. You don't need to get a pronouncement from Rome. You don't need... I mean, it's not in the BBC News that you are a saint. If you become a believer today, you are a saint. 
because God comes to live in you, and you are sanctified, and you are holy. Now, I honestly believe there are many of us who think, yeah, yeah, I've got that, I've got that, I understand that, I know that, good theology, agree with that. Well, if you agree with it, why don't you live like it? Because it's, 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 it's the most shattering thing. You know, we're very, very concerned about image in our culture. There are people who self-abuse and harm themselves. There are people who will um, starve themselves. There are people who do all kinds of things to their bodies because they loathe their own body. And God says, but you are my temple. And you are to be treated with special care. You are sanctified. You are made holy. So Paul says that. We are the temple of God. We are God's people. For, for those of you who are sometimes really discouraged and really fed up with the church, and that's most of us who've got open eyes, to be honest. After a while, you realize, oh my goodness, what a mess we're in, in so many different ways. You need to readjust so that you see that, but you also see the church as God sees the church. They're mine. They're holy. They're sanctified. They belong to me. And so God brings a call. Whoops. I think I've got these all muddled up. That's the call. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. God's call is to holiness. Now, holiness is one of those words that is phenomenally misunderstood. Um, I don't always recommend books, but it's a great book for you to read by uh, uh, an Anglican bishop called J.C. Ryle on holiness. It's a brilliant book. It's a wonderful book. Satan makes holiness unattractive. It's... Rabbi Burns, Holy Willie's Prayer. You know, the self-satisfied, sanctimonious uh, elder dressed in black who's always looking to put people down. If you heard the expression decades ago, I is awful holy, that was not considered to be a compliment. It's not what you really want to be. Satan either makes holiness unattractive or... Satan tricks us into thinking that holiness is something that we can attain and be rewarded for. If I'm holy, God will give me this. If I do this, God will do that. We then cease to be dependent on God's grace. But God's perspective is different. What Paul is telling us here is that the church is a supernatural institution, that we are brought together, born again by God's Holy Spirit. We are united in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are his temple, we are holy, we are sanctified, and we are not to contaminate it with the world. We are to be a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. See, here's my problem with bells and smells. I mean, I know it's reverent and holy and everyone thinks it is. But I think when you dress up a guy in pink or green or brown or whatever different colors they are, and you're saying, these people are holy, they've got holy garments on, they are distinct, they are different. You are taking away from the message of the New Testament, which is that actually all God's people are holy. And putting on a clerical collar or clerical garb doesn't make you holy. What makes you holy is belonging to Jesus Christ. And we are to be 
a royal priesthood. I mean, you, you can, if you think about, if you're a Christian, think about what you, you are being called. I've already called you a saint. Now you're a priest or a priestess, because women are included in that as well. I mean, you go and, and put this on your Facebook and see what people think of you. They'll think you're mad. But that's what God's word is telling us. And because of that, we are to seek to avoid contamination. We are to avoid getting a virus that will pollute us. I love what John Newton says about this. He says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But I still, but still, I am not now what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Or McShane, Lord, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. So God calls us and we are to be holy. How does that work out in practice? It doesn't mean that we withdraw from the world, that you have no relationships with unbelievers. Otherwise, Jesus was one of the most unholy people who's ever been. He was, in fact, he was accused of that, wasn't he? He was accused of eating with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean I can't speak to you because you're not a Christian, or I can't sit and, and, and eat with you because you're not a Christian. Again, back what Paul says this in his earlier letter to the Corinthians. I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you, you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. We don't withdraw from the world, but we practice holiness in our own lives and in the context of our fellowship as a church. That's why any biblical church is going to have biblical church discipline. It hurts like mad when somebody who you like, somebody who you love, somebody who's been part of your fellowship, turns away from God, starts disobeying God. And you have to deal with that. And you can't treat them as you treat the unbelievers. You have to treat them as a brother and sister in trouble. And because you love them, you discipline them. And I think one of the reasons that the church in the United Kingdom is so weak today is because we've forgotten all about all of that. We just say, well, we've just got to be nice. And they've just made a mistake. No. God's people are called to be holy. We are called to stay free, that we are not yoked and drawn into idolatry. That we do not have inappropriate relationships which lead us away from God. Our relationships are hugely important. How we behave is so often connected with our relationships. Some of us, somebody like me, I like to think, I'm independent, I think for myself, I do what I want. But it's not true. We're very, very affected by the people around us. I was listening to, uh, I can't remember the name of the program, a fascinating program on Radio 4 uh, on psychology and looking at how we go along with the crowd and how we give in to the voice of authority. And apparently there was this experiment done once where the psychologist got people to come and inflict pain on somebody. It's an electric shock. And the, they were, it wasn't real pain. They were, people were acting, but the people who were pushing the button didn't know. And because they were ordered to do it, now go on, give them some more pain, 150 volts. And the person was screaming and yelling. 
But people did it. Why? They did it because a voice of authority was telling them to do it. But the program went on to say it's not just in terms of authority, but in terms of crowns. And there are several experiments that have demonstrated this. If you walk past someone just now, outside on the street, and there's nobody else around, and they're lying there bleeding, most likely you will help them. But if there is a crowd of people walking past, most likely you won't. The vast majority of people won't. There are exceptions to that. Why? Because we really don't want to stand out from the crowd. We really don't want to be different. We are phenomenally influenced by the people that we are around. And we don't challenge one another. That's why, for example, if you've got a few moans and groans, what are you going to do? In a group like this, you will find four or five other people who've got the same moans and groans, and you'll gravitate to one another. Because that's what happens. Because we like to be with people who think like us, who reinforce. We want, was it Brian Ferry sang, uh, I'm in with the in crowd. We want to be in with the in crowd. The Christian is to be somebody who says, actually, no. I'm a daughter of the living God. I am a son of the living God. And I am going to live in this world with God's standards as my number one priority, not what the people around me say. I am not going to put myself under the pressure of a sinful authority or people who will lead me astray. How does that work out? Let me just give some examples. In church, church is split far too easily and people get up and leave churches far too easily on a whim. They take the huff. Somebody said something. Somebody complained their child was being noisy. Someone sat in their seat. Someone didn't acknowledge them in this or whatever. They're gone. That's ludicrous. That's ridiculous. And the divisions, some of the divisions in the church in Scotland are embarrassingly shameful. Embarrassingly shameful. But there do come a time when you do have to leave a church. There comes a time when a congregation has to leave a denomination. And that is what this verse is about. Because it's saying when there is idolatrous worship, when it turns away from the, the word of God, you get up and you walk out. I don't take part in ecumenical services. And the reason for that is just very, very simple. I'd just be so disruptive. Because if somebody stood up and started contradicting the Bible, I'd stand up and start contradicting them. And then we'd have a right rammy. It's not polite to do that. You know, I get invited and say, now make sure you wear this robe and make sure you do that. And make sure you... I say, no, I'm not doing it. Not unless you can guarantee me that God's word's going to be preached. Don't care the style. But if you can guarantee me that God's word's going to be preached... Well, it depends what you mean by that. Well, if you don't know, I'm not in. It's as simple as that. There are times when you have to go. I am... I I can't describe how much I admire Robin Sidsurf. And, you know, I do ask you to pray for my son Andrew as well because a tremendous responsibility has been laid on him. What they've had to do is really, really difficult. They've had to say, we've grown up in this church... We've, we've served this church. We've committed ourselves to this church. And we've now come to a point where we think this church has gone so against the word of God, we can't be part of it. And they are being hammered right, left, and center. You divisive, bigoted, ignorant people. And the pain that that involves for them. The temptation to lash out and to react. And I'm so 
impressed by the way that they have graciously accepted and handled. They've lost their building. They've lost their manse. They've lost their funds. And they put out a brochure like this, which not a word of complaint, not a word of harshness, just we're here, we want to reach into Edinburgh, (coughs) Scotland. We want to be passionate for the glory of God. And it's being done. And I do think there comes a point where you just say, right, enough is enough is enough. We're gone. We're not going to participate in idolatrous worship. (coughs) I refused to be yoked in friendships and socially who we hang out with and who we mix with. If you belong to a group of friends who insist that you engage in wrong behavior in order to be accepted, you just say, no, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. When I first became a Christian and my friends said, oh, come on, Dave, you can get drunk with us. And if I said, well, if that's the condition of our friendship, it's gone. Because I'm just not going to go in with that group think. But there is an enormous temptation. There are people who, there are Christians who will come to church and who will be Christians when they're in church and they go away with their friends and they'll be just exactly like their, their friends. And God says, don't, no, 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 be separate, be different. Don't be afraid to be different. Marriage. Although this text is not directly about marriage, there is, of course, an application. In the New Testament, the home was the center of worship in the Greco-Roman pagan culture. (coughs) It was very difficult to live with a non-believer. Paul says earlier in Corinthians, if you can live together with a non-believer, fine. Then the believer shouldn't leave if they could live in peace. But it's very, very difficult. In marriage, you are joined together, and that's why the New Testament says it's better to be married in the Lord. To say that the, the verse is not directly about being married, but again, it's just this whole idea of the associations and the links that we have and the depth of them. Business. Sometimes we don't think about this. If in your work and business you're being asked to do things that go against the Word of God, Should you be yoked in that sense? What if you've been asked to lie? You've been asked to cheat? You're part of an accountancy firm and they say, we want you to cook the books here? You say, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. What if you're part of the culture of the hospital that you're in? Or the culture of the company that you're in? The culture of your workmates is something that is hard to stand against? God says, don't be unequally yoked. Don't be compelled to go along with them. I think this is going to be a more and more important question as as we go on in our culture because people will be saying, keep your religion to yourself. Don't let it affect you. But it must. Because when we are told to obey men rather than God, we say no. Politics. In the Greco-Roman pagan world, the temple was the cultic political center of the city. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you withdraw from that. You withdraw from that. You don't enter into the same worship as others. You realize that when you go to a place such as Ephesus today, and you go into ancient Ephesus, and you see the big stadium, the Colosseum, and you realize you're refusing to go. I mean, that's like not celebrating 
Dundee United winning the Scottish Cup or something in Dundee or Dundee being promoted, which I didn't manage to rejoice in last week, so we'll rejoice this week. And you're all rejoicing with us. But it's like saying, you know, uh, whatever your idol is, you're just not going along with it. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it great? Paul says, no, no, no. We have to think and act for ourselves. We don't slavishly follow any political party. And in entertainment, the same thing. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. I couldn't do it. I mean, I, 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 I thought, I, I probably need to watch Eurovision to, you know, to see where a lot of the culture is at. But I just couldn't do it because I would have been ill. Um, and this is my justification. Don't be yoked uh, with, with unbelievers. Don't watch Eurovision. And of course, I mean, yeah. I mean, I wrote down beforehand, it's got to be the, dra- the, the, you know, the, the drag queen with the beard from Austria who's going to win as a symbol of liberty and tolerance. And yet, that's exactly what happened. And as I say, I didn't see it. And for all I know, he may have been the worst, the best of the worst. Uh, who knows? But don't be yoked with unbelievers. How many times have we seen Christians who've gone into the entertainment industry and have got yoked with unbelievers and they've turned out to be worse? People like Katy Perry, brought up in an evangelical home, professing faith, and now openly acknowledging Satan in her songs. Openly, not subliminally or anything. Horrendous stuff. So I think all of this is quite difficult. We are called to be free, not to serve ourselves, not to serve our own passions, but to serve the living God. And there is the, here's the paradox, because coming back where we came in to kind of finish, people will go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this come out from among them and be separate. It's a bit exclusive, isn't it? No. I'll tell you what the exclusiveness is. The exclusiveness is this. It's our culture which says you either believe, act, and think like us, or you're not part of us. And the Christian says, okay, I'm going to live with you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. But I'm sorry. I'm not going to believe, act, and think like you. I'm going to be different. And you can do without what you will. Because God gives a tremendous promise, doesn't he? Right at the end. Says that we are <coughs> to be, we will be his people. He says, <coughs> I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. That's from 2 Samuel 7 14, the promise given to David I will be his father, and he will be my son. My love will never be taken from him. We are the children of God. No, I, I did. Uh, here of the British entry, children of the universe. And I don't even need to hear it to know it's just mind-numbing sap. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just a genius rock anthem, and I apologize if it was, but I'm pretty sure it was mind-numbing sap, even without having heard it. And (coughs) we're children of the universe. No, we're not. The universe is cold and empty. We are children of the living God. And that's why we are not to be degenerate children. That's why we are to be holy and pure. You know, it's a wonderful situation as a child if you grow up and you say, I don't want to do this because it would hurt my mom. I don't want to do this because it would hurt my dad. I actually think that's a really good motivation. Not, I don't want to do this because my mom would beat me up or my my dad would hit me. But I don't want to do this because I don't want to hurt them. We don't want to lose the blessing of our particular relationship. When you become a believer, you become a child of the living God. You have real equality and real freedom. 
Incidentally, I need to do say, say one thing here. I think it's very important. If you are a Christian who, who reads this and says, well, what this means is I become a child of the living God, but if, I, if I'm not holy, if I don't behave in a certain way, then I become defriended or de-childed by God. God says, oh, okay, no, no, you're no longer in. How can you live as a Christian like that? That is horrendous. If I believed that God could send his Holy Spirit, send his son to die for me, send his spirit to create in me a new life, and then say, well, unless you behave, I'm taking it away, I'd pack up. I'd resign my job instantly, and I wouldn't bother being a Christian. Because if it was up to me, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm completely stuffed, if that's the case. But God says this, you are my children. This is not saying be holy so that you can be God's children. Or be holy so that you can stay God's children. It's saying you are God's child. Live like it. Recognize who you are. Don't live in the filth. You are. You know how sometimes you say to a little child, uh, a wee girl, oh, you're a wee princess. That's what God says to you. He says you are are a, a prince and a princess. You are a son and a daughter of the living God. So we don't share in what is not of God with unbelievers. When they choose to live a life which mocks God, which blasphemes God, which ridicules God, we say, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that because he's my father. I'm not there. We share our common humanity. We share our broken humanity. But we show people that there is a much, much better way First Peter, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. Not the fake stuff, Not the self-righteous, religious, pretend stuff. Not the, I'm going to feel good about me and Jesus stuff. But just simply, there is a God who is pure and righteous and good and loving and holy and beautiful. And the opposite of that is evil and ugliness and regression and perversion and destruction and death and pain. And when I'm choosing between one and the other, I'm choosing this one. I'm choosing to be a child of the living God and to live as a child of the living God. That's what holiness is. And that's what coming out from among them and be separate is. The more you separate yourselves from worldliness, the more you can help people in the world. The more you compromise with the world and with worldliness, the less use you are going to be. So Paul says to the Corinthians, don't regress into pagan worship. Stick with the beauty of Christ and the beauty of Jesus. It's the only thing that we have. If you're not a believer, you need to come to know him. If you are a believer, I think you need to pray a very dangerous prayer. I think you need to say, Lord, show me my own unholiness. Show me what you've forgiven me for. Cleanse me. Renew me. Enable me 
to live for you. Purify me. Create a clean heart in me. And every week and every day and every month, you'll be praying the same prayer again and again and again because the filth is all around and the filth is in. But Jesus came to cleanse us and to renew us. And that, that's my only hope. And it's your only hope that as we look to Christ, he gives us his righteousness, his holiness, and his beauty. And as we go out into the world, people see the light of Jesus shining in us. May God bless his word. Lord, thank you for your word. Bless it to us. We pray for any who don't know you, that we would come to you. We pray for those of us who do, that you would show us our sin and that you would grant us your holiness. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.